Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We're in a series at the moment which should be well aware of those that have been doing the journey with us, those that are following along at home through our life groups or maybe you're just doing your own personal study. But we're in a series of Joseph where we're looking at the life of Joseph and asking ourselves the question, what is it that is in the life of Joseph that we see that actually applies to us today? What is it about Joseph's life that matters to us? You know, a story that may well have happened thousands and thousands of years ago. But what I, what I noticed as I've been studying the life of Joseph these last few weeks is that we're all the same humans whether it's thousands of years ago or not, we are human beings desperately trying to get in touch with a divine God and walk with that God. And Joseph was trying to do the same thing. He was trying to find his way forward in his life with what he thought was the plan of his life. And as he did, he encountered problem and challenge after challenge after challenge. Has anybody ever been there as you've tried to walk the walk you think you're called to, has it always gone simply? Has it always been straightforward? Our story is Joseph's story. We're in there, folks. And this morning, I want to I wanna draw out part of this story of Joseph because I reckon one of the great challenges Joseph had was his disappointment and disillusionment. The challenge that... It didn't quite go according to the map that he had in his head. There's a blueprint when he received a dream from God that God was going to take him from whatever situation or circumstance that he was in and he was going to place him in a place of prominence that so much so that his family, of which he was the second youngest, so in terms of the pecking order, he was way off the radar of importance. But his entire family was going to bow down to him. Now, you've got to understand the context of that. It's not just purely ego that's speaking, although I think Joseph had his fair dose of that in the early stages of his life. But remember, Joseph knew that his family was the family of promise. This was Abraham's family. This was the family that God had come to. And through the generations of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, there had been passed down this this. this thought, not just the thought, but this promise that God had said, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. And so you can imagine within the family, there was this thought of where will we be in the pecking order of the nation? If God's going to make a nation out of our family and we are the family and I am the eldest son, well then surely I've got some prominence over the others. And if you're the second youngest now, you're way down. But if you're the second youngest has had a dream and that dream you're telling everybody else about and in that dream, I'm going to become the one you bow down to, you are coming against the status quo of the family power structure. You are asserting yourself. I don't think Joseph knew how to read the room. God may have spoken to him something in his heart, but Joseph had something else he needed to tell and the need to tell wasn't necessarily connected to wise living. I want to look at it today about why that story can be our story. I reckon one of the big enemies that Joseph had to ultimately wrestle with was unforgiveness. 
Because as, as he told his story to his brothers, his brothers were less than receptive. In fact, they threw him in a pit. They actually wanted to kill him, but they threw, ended up throwing him in a pit. And we know the story, we've been tracking with it. You'll know that the pit led to slavery. Slavery led to part of his house. Part of his house led to accusation, false accusation. It led to jail. It led to being in a jail and being basically forgotten for a couple of years past when he thought he really should have got out until finally this dream becomes a reality. There's a long way from the dream to the palace. It's a long way. And along the way, there are a lot of people that did some things to him. Stuff happened to him that you could say he could have accumulated a lot of hurt. He could have accumulated a lot of doubt. He could have accumulated a lot of pain. And if he's human like you and I, I'll guarantee he did. I'll guarantee he did. But you and I know that the more we accumulate the hurts and the unforgivenesses of the circumstances of our life, the more clogged we become and the less receptive we become to the things that God wants to do. In fact, our heart starts to really seize up inside. Bitterness starts to take hold. And as a human being, we start to sort of bend and twist a little bit on the inside. No longer the purity and the joy and the peace that we have in our childhood. Now we start to get a little bit older and we start to tell ourselves, well, as I'm getting older, I'm just becoming more real. I'm more realistic. Ah, dreams are for young people. The reality is life's tough. It doesn't go well. Don't expect too much because along the way, people will let you down. You can't really trust everyone, so guard your heart. And that's just code for keep it from everybody. And so the joy that we thought we'd start with, the, the elation of the dream of the, the goal, the destiny that God had placed in front of us, the pathway that we could see was going to be possible, now just kind of feels like a lot of hard work. And so we're better off just reducing expectations rather than actually leaning in by faith of what God could do. And somewhere along the line too, we say to ourselves, where was God in my pain? And the temptation I reckon Joseph had, which is our temptation today, is that because it didn't quite work out like I thought God told me, then where was God? Therefore, God, why have you let me down? How come you didn't make this work out? You told me it was going to look like this. I thought it was going to look like that. I'd received something. I heard someone preach. I read something in the Bible. I heard something got hold of my heart and my expectations were here. And along the way, it just hasn't been that way. God, why not? And we might necessarily blame God, but what we say in our heart is you let it happen, God. It's the same thing. You let it happen. If you really are a loving God, how can you stand by and let it happen? Joseph could easily have said that, I'm in the pit, God. Well, that's not a great start for my great dream. God, you stood by and let them put me in the pit. And so when we're really looking for the blame, then we start at the top and we say, God, where are you? And the enemy of Joseph's life, I reckon, ultimately was unforgiveness, which we saw in the end he triumphed over through tears 
as his brothers came to him and right at the end of his life, or the end of the, the period of time we're talking about, he had the opportunity to do the God thing or he had the opportunity to do the revenge thing. And he chose the God thing. And as he did, he released something over his life, I reckon, that gave him freedom and hope. Allowed him to be the sort of leader that God had always wanted him to be. And I'd like us to talk a little bit today about this idea of unforgiveness. Because I reckon it's the thing, it's the thing that Jesus most talked about when he spoke about when he spoke about faith in Mark eleven twenty two, he talked about the faith of a mustard seed will move mountains. And then if you go past 22, 23 to 24, he actually says, but if you have unforgiveness, don't think God will do anything for you. It's like a slap in the face. It's this amazing two verses that says God can do amazing things. And then it says, yeah, but you can stop it. And it's not God that stops it. It's us that can stop it. God says, keep yourself clean. Don't accumulate unforgiveness along the way. This is not the way I saw this dream going. God, why did you let this happen? Why? A.W. Tozer says this. I think it's a great quote. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Here's the problem when we don't forgive God. You say, oh, hang on a minute, that's a, that's a heavy deal. You know, but secretly in our heart, we're just not sure we can trust him anymore. We love him. We want to worship him. But I'm not really sure God's for me because there's been a few letdowns and where was God in the middle of the letdown? And this is why this Tozer quote's so important because what comes into our minds when we think about God, what, do, what does come into your mind when you think about God? Is God goodness itself? Is God your judge? Is God your ally? Is he your advocate? What is, who is God to you? Who is God to you? What are you expecting from him? And what do you think is reasonable that God would expect from you? So I want to start with a caution. One of the cautions about Joseph's story is that Joseph could have said to himself, God put me in the pit. God put me in the pit. Or at least God allowed me to go into the pit. And we often accuse God of these things that are not true. Can I say here today that God is way better than we think? I think there's some things today that I'm going to put out there. I hope you'll allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart to them. Because I recognise there'll be some folk here today and you actually in your heart will be saying, I'm not happy with God right now. I'm angry with him a little bit, actually. If you really were to allow your heart to be open about it, you'd say, he disappoints me a bit. Like I'm, I'm hanging on there with him, I'm walking with him and I need his presence, but I'm not real sure how active he is in my life right now. I'm not really sure that when I pray about certain things that it's really all that productive. And the reason being is I'm drawing back a little bit from him, really. I can't really draw all the way back because there is no other hope and salvation other than him. I, I know ultimately it's him, but I really don't know what channel he lives on right now. I don't know what planet he's on. So I can't really know whether I can zone in on him. That might be you today. I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will encourage your heart. 
There is a tenderness of heart that we, can, we must protect when we walk with God. We must protect the tenderness of heart before Him. When, when Proverbs talks about guarding our heart, that's the bit we're guarding. It's, we're guarding the, the receptiveness inside us, the absolute trust that no matter what happens to me, I fully trust that God is good, that He is good. Because if God stops becoming good, then where am I with God? Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Circumstances. We live in a fallen world. It doesn't always go perfectly. People will disappoint us. Things go wrong. Things blow up. Things are said. Circumstances conspire against us. Injustices happen to people. They shouldn't, but they do. Accidents happen. Creates change that we don't see coming. In the midst of all of that turmoil, if we b- draw into our minds and the tenderness of our heart that somehow God is to blame for it, then we're missing who God really is. We're going to miss who God is. We're going to miss the chance to walk with Him in some difficult times. Joseph's story forces us to ask this question. Why do we go through seasons of testing and trial? Why? Why does that happen? I want to go with me, please, to James chapter 1. I just want to tie this in a little bit before we get on to what I really hope to speak about. I think we need this context. James chapter 1 and verse 2 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect worth, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The testing of your faith produces patience. There's something that's being tested on the inside when we go through certain temptations and trials. And the patience, the the testing of our faith produces patience. What is this patience? It's a word called hupomone in the Greek. Hupomone. And hupomone actually means to remain under. It's, it's a word that actually means submission. So the testing of my faith is actually testing my submission to God. It's testing my submission. It's testing my ability to actually remain open and tender before a God who is always good and trust that what I see happening around me that I don't understand is actually He is still walking with me through it. The test is can I submit in the midst of the struggle? That's the test. And as I submit and I I stay in the place where mystery is still surrounding me and revelation hasn't yet come to me and I don't understand and I can't make sense, in that place right there, I'm developing patience. Why? Because I need it. I don't understand and I actually don't have an answer. But if the first thing I go to is to criticise the God of heaven that's walking with me because I need someone to blame, I've taken the wrong thing. I've taken the wrong, I've taken the bait. And we'll unpack that a little bit. It's the very thing the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to lay hold of God and make God the reason why that happened. 
Then it says that you may be perfect and complete. It's an amazing statement, this perfect and complete. Essentially, if you look at the Greek, and there'll be a slide on the screen. I put them up there for those who really want to do their own study in this. It basically means this, what you were designed for. So in other words, that I, may, I actually arrive at what I was designed for through the testing of my faith that produces this ability to submit that I can actually walk through the time where I can't make sense of what's happening, but hold God still in the highest esteem and fellowship with Him on the way through. And as I do, I'm actually learning now how to become what I was designed for. Because I wasn't really designed to be the person that had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm really not the one that should understand it all. I'm actually being designed to trust the one that does. That's what I've been built for. That's what you've been built for. And as I find that place, I actually become free in my soul. It's one of the most difficult journeys of our life. It is the difficult journey. It is the center point of what makes walking with God one of the hardest things to do. Because we walk in a world that wants to explain rationally everything. There'll be a scientific answer for everything. And we'll go looking for them until we find them. And we'll make them up if we have to, but we, we need a reason. We need a reason. And so everything inside us as, we, as the world is flowing towards give me a cause, give me an effect, give me an answer, give me a reason, we as the believers walking before God will stand in the place of mystery and say, I trust you. And it will look foolishness to the world. It'll look foolish. James goes on in chapter 1 and verse 12 and says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Okay, this is the bit. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Black and white. It's black and white. God is not in the business of putting things in front of you to test you, to hurt you, to give you pain, to break you. He is not in that business. And this is probably the bit that there'll be some in the room and you might get angry with me now and I'm sorry. My heart loves you. But I know this is true because I know this is God. God does not devise plans to put pain in your life to teach you things. That is not God. He doesn't have the ability to think that way. He is goodness itself. He is blessing itself. You say, yes, but why does it happen? That's a different story. That's a different question. But it's not coming out of the heart of God. God is not against you. God is a good father. Could you imagine as a father, as I think about my children, that if I had the ability to break their arm... And then after I'd broken their arm, I could remend it and reset it again so that I could teach them something as a father. Dad's in the room. Could you imagine inflicting pain on your kids so that you could teach them something about character? You can't imagine it. It's abuse. It's abuse. We lock people up who do it. And yet we can sit in our, in, our, in our place with our theology and look at God and say, but that's what he's doing to us because he's the perfect father. 
It's abhorrent to us to do it to our kids. Why would it not be to God? God's not doing that to you. It's happening. And I'm not belittling the circumstance or the pain, but I'm just saying to you, it's not God. Don't blame him. Therefore, there's something he wants to do in you as a result. How do we find that place? Let's keep reading in, in James. I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So God does not bring testing. God does not bring the testing. But in every circumstance, you and I have the choice to make between anxiety and trust. Every time something happens, we're faced with a choice in the inner man, in the tenderness of our heart. Anxiety or trust. The anxiety says, I need to bring back control so that I can get this to work for myself. Trust says God is with me and his goodness is going to find its way through me and in me and through this, I'm going to see what God is doing. He's going to help me. God is going to receive me. God is going to redeem me. God is going to renew me. God is going to set me free. I think as a church sometimes, I'm talking the broader church, we have abdicated this responsibility that we actually are agents of the Lord on this earth bringing his authority and power to bear in situations that are broken. In other words, God is working through us to bring his power into situations that need to be fixed. And he's asking us to partner with him. He's asking us to partner with him. We can't do it if we're blaming him. How can we possibly bring his kingdom if that's the case? Testing and temptation are linked. See, temptation is the test. When the test comes along, whatever it is, whenever it's not meeting my expectations, whenever I'm disappointed with stuff that's going on or I'm hurt or whatever's happening, there's a temptation right there for me to actually flip back into self. When I'm back in self now, I need to find someone to blame. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to be defensive. There's part of me that's got to, and I start to lose the sweetness of my heart because I'm now looking for an alibi. I need to point the finger. Something's got to happen. And the testing here is not that God has sent the circumstance to test me. It's the test of my response in that. That's the test. The test is my response. What, how will I respond? How will I house, how will I maintain the secret place with God in the midst of it? Can I say this to you in Psalm 23? It's the design of the Lord that this is how, how heaven and earth would come together. I don't have any wisdom to explain it in detail other than to say there's a, there's a line in Psalm 23 that says, I've set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. God's intentionally done it. He didn't organise the circumstance against you, but he put the table of his blessing, of his prosperity, of the lushness of his presence and goodness right in the midst of the fact that the enemy is still around you. It's called the earth because Satan still roams this world 
And in the midst of it, God says, my presence is with you. It's amazing. Now, one day Jesus will come again as the king of the kingdom. And when he comes, the devil will be locked up for a thousand years. There'll be the end of time. But at the end of the day, he will be put away into Gehenna, the Bible says. Because the kingdom of God will rule and reign. There will be no more pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no more tears. Because we won't be in Psalm 23 anymore. We'll be in a new place. It won't be a table set in the presence of my enemies because my enemies will be gone. But right now, we have a table that's set in the presence of our enemies. And there is a testing and a temptation that happens is for us to look at somebody else to be the blame when the testing comes and God says, no, 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 come and fellowship with me. Let me show you how good I am in the midst of it. Now you can sit here this morning and say, why God? Why did you design it that way? Good question. Ask him when you see him. Hopefully not too soon. Hope you've got many more years. Why did you do it that way? Because he wants to, through delegated authority and delegated power and presence, work through us to bring his kingdom to this earth. That's what he wants to do right now. That's what he's trying to do. His intention is to partner with you such to the level that his power and presence will flow through you to redeem all that is around you. Why is it that Jesus, when he was in the boat and the winds and the waves were bashing and the thing was about to topple over and go under and he's asleep at the back of the boat, the thing that Jesus does first after he rebukes the wind and the waves is he turns to the disciples and says, ye of little faith. Why? Why? That seems cruel unless God wanted them to do something better than they did it. I think what Jesus was saying is, why didn't you just do what I did? Otherwise, why rebuke them for lack of faith? What was the response they needed to have? Cure the storm. Speak to the storm. Do what I do, Jesus was saying. You've seen me do it. You've seen me use the authority that the Father's given me. You use it too. And the challenge as I say that to you is a bunch of us would say, really? That seems like a long bow. No, no, I think we've reduced our expectation. I think we've decided to take our, our, our believing down to a level where we don't have that kind of authority or designated power from God. That's not our responsibility. That's His. He only works sovereignly. Really? I don't think so. He works through us. He gets us to look at what's happening in the situation and say, I'm going to speak into this by the wisdom of God and see brokenness healed, captives set free, lives transformed, redemption happen. I'm going to bring righteousness to this world. What is righteousness? Right standing, make it right. Bring it back into rightness again. What is rightness? It's the way God designed it. That's the heart of God for us. So he's saying, step up, step up, step up. Oh, I'm not ready to step all the way to winds and waves. That's fine. Let's step to the first step. Then take the next step. Then take the next step. That you may be perfect and complete, the Bible says in James. That you may be perfect and complete. What you were designed for. No longer testable. No longer temptable. Just fully trusting God. Not my will, Father, but yours. I will stand in the midst and I will see you as good. 
and I will trust you. See, the devil's aim is to get us to question the very nature of God. He did it right back at the Garden of Eden. This is the, the origin of sin, the origin point of view, to trace it back to its very root. The devil accused God of protecting himself from humanity. He accused God of saying that you're going to keep humanity from being like you if they eat from that tree. Because he came to Adam and Eve and said, that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to keep you from being like him. He planted this poisonous seed that said God could not be fully trusted. God's hiding something from you. Satan said, you surely will not die for God knows that in the day you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This deception released a curse in the form of a question. It was just a question, a lingering question that sat over them. And church today, can I say, I think that's the lingering question that still sits over us. Can I fully trust God? Has he really got my best at heart? Can I surrender to a God that may not be fully good, but actually has another agenda in mind? I will hide my heart from that God. He doesn't get all of it. What is God hiding? The reality is that Adam and Eve tried to obtain through an act what they already had by design. They were already made in the image of God. God already said that. God had said over them, I've made you in my image and according to my likeness. But they tried to become like God through an act that the devil tried to tempt them into, but all they had to do was be. Be in the goodness of God. Now I need to do this in order to ensure that I am because God might be hiding something from me. Is God really that good? Can I fully trust him? Why is one of the pivot scriptures that we see is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength? Why is that the great commandment? Why does that sit in the centre of the gospel, centre of the commandments, the, the Ten Commandments? Why was that the thing that Jesus, when he was asked by the Pharisee, what's the greatest of all commandments, why did he say that's the centrepiece? It's because when you can trust God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, you're fully surrendered. You are fully surrendered. You are now back to the way you were originally designed. You are perfect and complete, according to James. You've come back full circle. What a marvellous dream that is. Inside our hearts go, oh, that sounds like a really painful journey. Yeah, Paul called it crucifixion. <laughs> he said, yeah, you're going to die. That's the bit we don't put on the pamphlet, hey. <laughs> it's going to be great. You're going to die. But you'll be great. At the other end of that is the presence and the power of the one who is the most wonderful person. My grandmother uh, and my grandfather was, he'd just turned 61 and they had been, he worked for the Telegraph, um, so he, uh, uh, Telegraphic Exchange, you know the, and I don't know, all that sort of stuff back in the day. Through the Second World War, all that. I don't really fully understand what he did, but 
He worked a lot of shift work, a lot of nights, but he was often not home. But he got to 61 and they decided it was time to retire. And so he bought this uh, trailer. In fact, he bought the bits of it and he made it into a trailer and uh, they put a cover over the top of it and they're going to tow it around Australia and just spend time together, just going wherever they want to go, do whatever they want to do. My granddad was 61, my grandmother was 53. And he went walking with the dog one morning as they were preparing to pack and he came home, laid in the outside study area and died of a massive heart attack, like that. And we knew a little bit more about the story because after Grandma passed away at 96, so she lived in another 40-something years on her own. And I only ever knew her as a grandma without a granddad. There was a letter that we found in her personal effects that she'd written to her eldest daughter, who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea at the time. And she poured her heart out to her. And she said, I jumped on top of your dad's chest and I was beating him with my fist saying, come back to me, Tom. Come back to me, Tom. Come back to me, Tom. And so, much, so loud was the scream that the neighbours came in from all around saying, what on earth is going on? As we're reading this letter, it's confronting to the max. My whole life growing up, every single birthday card I've ever received from my grandmother, which I've got most of them still, has written on the bottom, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. She had a lovely big plaque that hung in every single house she had right through till she was finally in a single room just as she was in the last years of her life. That thing went with her everywhere. It was this old, floral, ornate thing, but the scripture was the key. I never really understood why it meant so much to her. But I know this, in the midst of whatever pain that she never talked about, she never stopped telling us that to live for Jesus is the only way to live. I don't know how she did it, but she stood in the midst of her disappointment, her dream, the Joseph issue. I'm in the pit and God, did you do it to me? I never saw that in her. The tenderness of her heart said, God is with me. God is for me. And you should live like I'm living is basically, she never said it that way. She'd be too, there's a humility about it. But that's what her life screamed at me. Live like this. And it all makes sense now as I look back. But oh, I can only imagine the challenge of walking through it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. The simple truth is this. God does not author bad things in the world. He doesn't author them. He is not the instigator of them. He doesn't stand by and let them happen. He's not permissioning them passively. They're happening because the world is fallen, the devil is bad, and he is wanting to make everybody, as much as possible, look towards God and say it's all his fault, while he stands in the shadows making it all happen. And not just him, but the nature of human beings, just the way in which we have collectively and socially over thousands of years created systems that are just poor and bad and wrong. Simple. 
God says, I want to place you in the midst of that and I want you to be my goodness. I want you to be the example of my heart. The only way you'll do that, though, is keep the channel free. Don't blame me. Don't carry in your heart the fact that I am your enemy. How do we know that's absolutely true? People will say, oh, well, what about the life of Job? Look how challenging he had. Yes, but can I say this? What about Jesus? Just stop for a minute. Job showed us what it meant to be faithful in the midst of challenge, yes. But who is the true example, the representation of the Father's heart on the earth? What is the Bible crystal clear about? And that is Jesus. Jesus didn't do anything that he didn't see his Father do. He is the exact, if you've seen me, he said to Philip, you have seen the Father. This is, did Jesus ever break someone's arm, throw them under a bus? Did Jesus do anything other than heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, Calm the storms. Did he do anything other than bring rightness to the world around him? Is there ever any example recorded where Jesus did something to teach us a lesson? No. That's the heart of God. So no matter what case has been built in your mind this morning, folks, can I beg you, can I plead with you from the heart of God, drop the case against God. Drop the case. Look at Jesus. That's what God's will looks like in the earth. That's what it looks like. He is good. He is good. And even when they came to him and said, I don't know that I've got the faith for it. He, he, and, the, and the father with the, with the child that was being thrown into the, the fire all the time, he said, I believe but help my unbelief. In spite of that, Jesus still stepped in and said, let me Fix this. Let me make it right for you. The goodness of God. Let me just wrap up on just a couple of thoughts. Knowing his goodness is the secret place of God. Knowing his goodness. Carrying with you a revelation of the goodness of God. Living aware of the goodness of God. How many times a day do you stop and become aware that God is good and He's with me today? Can I tell you, one of the challenges is we've got to teach our soul the patterns of this. We've got to teach our soul. We've got to, we've got to bring our hearts back to a revelation where we carry a living awareness of the goodness of God around our life all the time. God is good. He's at work around you. He's trying to bring redemption in all kinds of different ways. He's going to call you into a place of mystery, according to a place of faith. And as you stand in that place of faith with patience, He will outwork something. He'll give you a revelation. He might give you something to declare. He might give you a place to stand. He might give you something that you can hang on to. So let me just finish with this last story and then I'd just love to pray for some people. Recently, these last bunch of years, um, let me just say, there's, a, there's been a person in our family who has gone through a great struggle of her soul. And I don't think I've ever felt as desperate in these last few years in my life than I've felt with this situation. I don't think I've ever felt despair until these last few years. Real despair. That sense that I don't know what else to do. 
I actually don't know who to turn to. The pain of despair for those who've felt it is real. It's like I just don't know what the next step should be. And I I remember the only thing I knew to do was to go to the secret place of God. And everything in me says, God, fix it. God, just fix it. But I could feel my heart tenderness getting twisted. And the wrestle inside me was, no, no, rest in God. And so there'll be times I just come to His presence and just get the sense of God again. So that once I could feel the presence of God, from that place, I could ask him, what do we do next? But oftentimes what we do is we come with our despair and, and, we, and we, we come into the presence of God, not with the victory of the presence of God around us, but with our question beating strongly inside us. We've got to lay it down. We've got to lay it down. We've got to get to a place where we are trusting him implicitly. I had to get to the place in my heart, and this will sound very difficult for some, but it was real to me. I had to actually say, God, even if you take her home, I will still love you. I will release her that if this condition that doesn't seem to want to let her go ends up taking her life, I will trust you. And that sounds glib, but it's not. It wasn't glib. It was, it was true. And in that place, there would be this presence of God that would say, I'm with you. It's okay. And out of that presence of God, I'd say, God, what is going to happen? How are you going to work with this? And I'd feel faith rise again. I'd feel like God would give me something to declare over her life. And so I'd begin to speak something. And you can say, oh, was it just sort of glib words? No, no. I felt like God gave me phrases at times. And so I'd speak those phrases And I just start to declare them over her. We're standing here today when this person has turned in a massive corner. It's, It's been a big miracle. It's been wonderful. And it's been horrible. And it's been challenging. And it's 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 been a journey where patience has been tested. And I'm not saying to you that that place is a great place. Yay, let's go back there again. But I will say this. In the midst of it, God is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. As soon as you allow doubt to get in your heart that God is no longer good, where are you then? Where else will you run? But if God is good, I can trust him because no matter what's happening, he will turn, this will turn out for good. This morning, I just just believe there's some people here and the challenge of your heart has been deep inside, there is, you blame God for some stuff. You didn't, you didn't want to get there. You didn't, that wasn't the plan to get there. But in your mind, there was no other logic to describe it. God, I asked you, I prayed about it, and nothing happened. And so, God, what did you do? Or why were you absent? 
Or why did you let it happen? Or whatever the questions are. And in the midst of that, can I, can I say this to you as kindly as I can? You've blamed God. You've blamed Him. And it's a human response too. But it's not a productive human response. And this morning, I just believe the Spirit of God just wants to just come afresh to you and refresh your heart again. I really believe that there is some victory in this for you. There's a weight and a burden that God wants to lift off you. He wants you to see again that He is good and that He has a plan and He's with you. Joseph's challenge is our challenge. This ability to stand in the midst of circumstances, holding on to the promise of God, viewing our circumstances, but not holding God hostage to our answer, allowing him to be God. That story of Joseph is why, and there's a victory in the end. There's a victory. Come on, let's just pray, can we? Father, this morning you you see every heart. You look into every life. You know the subtext of the meditation of our heart. You know the assumptions that we bring. You understand us. You get us. You care about it. God, it's your mercy and grace that keeps coming back to us time and time again to say, hey, hey, release it to me. Trust me, walk with me. You want us to get a revelation of who you are. You want us to know the goodness of who you are, Lord, the goodness of God in the land of the living God. That's the prophecy over all of us, that we would know that goodness of God. There's a refreshing. God, we no longer have to carry the burden of our own self-assessment and judgments. And more importantly, God, we can release you. Say, God, you are not my enemy, but you are my friend. God, I pray for every person here today. Would you help them come to that place of grace? Show us the path to freedom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wonder if we could just stand as a church this morning. actually think just like Eleanor sort of prophesied before, there's a, there's a holy ground moment in this for us. It's, it is holy ground. It's an altar. And my, my intention today is, is, is not to see anyone be embarrassed, but in the privacy of your heart where you're standing right there, between you and God, that you'd make that the altar, that the altar. You don't need to come to the front. You don't need to come to a pastor. You don't need to come to anyone, really. It's just about our hearts opening up and saying, God, there's a part of that that is my story and I want to come back to a different place. It's a simple... Repentance isn't a heavy thing. Repentance isn't something to be afraid of. Repentance isn't something to be ashamed of. Repentance is just simply, I see it from your perspective now, God, and I'm changing my view. Or at least... I desire to change my view. It starts there. I wonder with every head bowed and eye closed just across this, this auditorium, I want to pray a prayer over us. 
Only because I'd like to give you the words. If this is your prayer, if you'd say, yes, I'm, I need to forgive God. There's some stuff that's happened to me and I've always blamed Him, but I feel the tug of the Spirit this morning. I'd just love you to pray this prayer under your breath with me. That's all you need. Just that moment of just releasing to God. Trust Him. Let's just pray this together. Lord Jesus, I confess there are things in the plan of my life that have not gone according to my expectation. There's been pain. There have been many questions. And there has been deep disappointment. In my heart, though I wouldn't have said it this way, I have felt that you are to blame. Or at least that you could have acted differently for my cause. Today, with all of my strength, I want to forgive you. I want to forgive you. Like the disciples said to Jesus, where will we go? You are the only ones with the words of life. God, I say that to you today. Help me forgive. Help me release the blame. Come again. Let your presence be fresh to me again, I pray. Renew my soul. Help me find a new place of love and trust in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if we could just sing this worship song together just as we close. And I just encourage you as we do, allow it to be your incense of praise. Allow it to rise out of your heart now just as, a, as your moment. It's like you're saying to Him, God, I'm going to worship you for what I just prayed that it would come to pass in my heart. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.